Well, hello, and welcome to Nonsense and Noise, a podcast about the queer person of color, pop culture, and media experience. I am your host, Nathan Cotto, and um, wow, y'all, it's been a hot second since we last hung out. Um, Right now, it is December 20th. Um, I'm off work for the rest of the month, so I finally have time and the energy to actually record and do research and stuff for this episode. And this episode, in the next few episodes, actually, are probably going to be, like, heavy on research. Um, So I need actual time to prepare for the episodes rather than just, like, going to see a movie and then talking about it or like talking about video games or whatever um which funnily enough i don't think i've actually talked about any video games yet that will change in the future we'll get there eventually but um yeah no work has been really busy i had a project where basically we submitted like two major things to the fda the the u.s health authority um at the end of october and then at the end of november and then like all these things happened and so I had to take care of actually like doing writing at work and so like at work I do a lot of writing for health authorities and and like writing technical documents so obviously that um by the time like I sign off of work I like don't want to write anymore um so that makes it hard for me to like draft essay out or not essay outlines but draft like episode notes and like actually do research because like you know, as much as I like this as well, it's also still work. So I just haven't had time or like the mental stamina to sit down and record an episode until today. So um, yeah, that's that's how I'm doing. I've also been playing a lot of Pokemon. Um, I got Violet and I, I have a few um, trades that I've done to get some version exclusives, but still working on that. I am really enjoying the experience so far. It's a nice like sort of, I really think it's exactly what the Pokemon franchise needed. It really, like, expanded um, the possibilities for the game and everything. Um, I think there are things that obviously could be done better, and I think that just means that Game Freak needs to unionize because, man, those frame rates are garbage. (laughs) Like, I'm pretty sure the game is running at, like, 30, like, or 30 or less frames per second, and it is just sometimes very hard to watch and I'm just like is my switch going to explode right now I don't know and you know folks might be like oh it's the hardware issue and I don't really think so there are some other higher power like higher graphics games that run perfectly fine and smoothly on switch like for example like Shin Megami Tensei 5 or even Bayonetta when I was playing that like both of them run pretty smoothly there's no like crappy frame rate so I mean it's just it's just Game Freak they need to these poor folks over at Game Freak have been worked to the bone and they are putting out Pokemon content like every year and it's just too much (laughs) simply too much um like we got legends arceus in january and you know we got pokemon last month it's it's a lot for them to be doing and granted like there were some folks who were like oh i think legends arceus is like them giving the open world concept a try and luckily legends arceus was very successful I'm really happy with it. Um, I haven't even finished the post game on that yet, but like lots of people liked Legends Arceus, so Game Freak was like, okay, we'll go ahead and like make Violet and Scarlet and have them have like very similar sort of ideas and concepts and everything. So um, 
there are obviously some things that I would like um, for more quality of life things for Pokemon, but I, you know what, we'll just make another episode for that later. Um, so that's what I've been doing. I also saw Wakanda Forever. Um, that was a it was a pretty good movie. Um, overall, there wasn't really <laughs> too much that happened per se. Um, it was a very, very good tribute to uh, Chadwick Boseman and his legacy in Black Panther, um, and it's, yeah, it was a really good movie. That is also going to be another episode. I'm probably going to bring Bryn on to talk about that, because I know they've got a lot of feelings about it. Um, and then on Friday, I actually got to rewatch Shang-Chi with um, one of my friends um, who had been saving, like, that movie to watch with me specifically, um, and they actually listened to my podcast too, and so it was really fun to, like, watch through with them, and then, um, afterwards talk about everything, and they were like, oh yeah, I kind of know all your thoughts, because I listened to the episodes of your podcast where you talked about Shang-Chi, and I was like, oh, oh great, well then this is gonna be a one-sided conversation, because you get to tell me how you feel, um, but yeah, it was overall really great experience, um, Interestingly enough, with the movie, I ended up, um, on rewatch, having some parts where I was like, oh, this actually didn't drag as much as it did for me in the theaters, though, um, this friend also brought up, like, the, um, I don't remember the guy's name, but, like, the random white guy who's in the dungeon of Wenwu's, uh, like, the, the Ten Rings Keep, um, he was fairly unnecessary and annoying, and this friend was like, man, I just hate it every time he's on screen, and I'm just like, yeah, same, because I think our overall <laughs> conclusion, which I think I've said before, is like, um, Shang-Chi is a great movie, or like an enjoyable movie, and then every time something happens to like remind people that you're in Marvel, it bumps you, and so I, I think I still agree with that evaluation this time around, too. Like, every connection that was made back to Marvel. And also, Marvel needs fucking better comedy writers. Their jokes suck ass. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just would love for the comedic, like, the comedic tension-breaking stuff. Like, I understand what it's doing thematically and everything for a narrative, but also, like, imagine if the jokes were actually good and, like, made sense instead of, like, um, you know, for example, I saw somebody who is, like, you know, making fun of Marvel jokes and they're just like, oh, how do I look in this dress? And then the other person was just like, well, you know, being dusted wasn't the worst thing that happened to me uh, now that I've seen you in that dress or something like that, and it's just, like, I don't know, it's that sort of, like, corny humor, and I'm just, like, I would love for this to maybe just be better, I don't know, I, I, you know, now that I'm complaining about it, I can't come up with anything off the top of my head, but, like, Marvel humor writers are not great, I would bet you money that there are no comedians in that room, in that writing room, because, um, Marvel's unwilling to experiment with their formulas, so, um, yeah, so I, I got, got to watch a bunch of Marvel stuff, um, uh, these past few weeks, um, so yeah, that's, that's how I've been, hopefully everybody has been well, I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving, um, and that you're doing well right now with all the holidays and stuff coming up, um, so yeah, we'll launch right into our first segment, going over pop culture updates. 
Um, so first we'll go over video games, um, top three things that are coming to, uh, release that I am, that are on my radar personally, um, and we're looking ahead to January. Um, so right now the first one is, uh, coming out on January 19th. Uh, the Persona series are, I think, I think Persona 5 Royal is already available on Switch. They already did that port, but they're also doing Persona 3 and Persona 4 onto Switch. Um, and I think that's really pretty awesome. Um, I know that there's, so like, just in case you haven't played Persona, but you've somehow played Shin Megami Tensei, uh, Persona is a spin-off of the SMT franchise. Uh, it has a lot of the same mechanics, but like a couple different things added. So I remember, I think in Persona 3, um, the gimmick is like, there's a, like a person, there's a gun and you like hold it up, the characters hold it up to their heads and they shoot it and then the persona comes out and the persona is like a personalized like demon sort of familiar thing. Um, and yeah, it makes the persona series pretty cool just because you get to, you know, develop how you feel about these characters via like their personas and what those personas tell you about those characters, um, and the personas can evolve as well, um, at least they can in Persona 5, I don't remember if that actually happens in earlier versions, but, um, yeah, I know a friend of the pod, Vesper, uh, has, he really likes, uh, Persona 4, um, and then friend of the pod, Mal, also is, is a big Persona for person, um, they really like Persona 5, um, so yeah, Persona, those ports are coming to the Switch on January 19th. Um, the next title is an indie title, um, also coming to the Switch on January 19th, called A Space for the Unbound. And this is an indie game set in Indonesia, and it focuses on overcoming anxiety and depression. <clears throat> if this uh, title sounds familiar, it was featured during the indie showcase i think last month in november um and it looks really cute i'm always on the lookout for these indie games because you know i think some of the big studio games obviously are great um and also a lot of these indie titles are able to handle um more i guess you know they, they tell stories that aren't heard a lot and i think i mentioned last episode about um or maybe no yeah, it was, it was last episode when I was talking about bros, um, how the more filters and stuff that stories have to go through, the less, I don't want to say pure, but like the less raw and true to people's experiences they are, because a lot of these bigger companies are focused on making money, whereas some of these indie studios, this is their passion project. And, you know, I hope that a lot of these indie studios continue to make video games and tell these stories because, um, you know, they're, those stories are worth sharing and exploring. But, um, yeah, I, I would imagine that sometimes some of these indie, indie studios, like, put together a video game um, and it tells a really important story and then they're just like, okay, we did it and we're done. Um, I don't remember the studio off the top of my head for Space for the Unbound, but I think it's really cool, worth looking into, um, especially since it's focusing on overcoming anxiety and depression. Those are things that obviously affect a lot of people, um, probably especially right now as well, since the pandemic is still going on and, um, people's social lives have been impacted and, 
I think mental health has come to the fore during the pandemic, and, and I think as people are trying, at least in the States, people are trying to rush back to normal, um, that's something that people have sort of thrown off by the wayside. Um, and it's manifesting in at least U.S. culture in sort of interesting ways with people not really knowing how to behave in public, um, and also people like not knowing how to behave online. Um, but I mean, those two were always sorts of problems, but like, I think it's sort of being amplified even more by, um, we haven't taken time as a country or really even the world to sort of grieve what happened, um, and the incredible loss of life due to the pandemic and everything. So, um, but all that aside, that is a space for the unbound coming to the switch on January 19th. And then the last title that I wanted to highlight is Forspoken coming on January 24th. I don't remember if I've talked about this one before, but, um, this is a, um, fantasy RPG from Square Enix featuring a black protagonist and she gets transported from, um, modern day New York City to a magical dimension, um, which I don't remember, <laughs> which is just goofy because I'm really looking forward to this game, but, um, it looks really cool. Um, you can, you play as this, this character and, um, she, you know, you basically have ex the same journey where you're exploring the world that you got transported to and, um, trying to figure out like what's going on and how to get back home, um, as well as developing magical powers and stuff. So, um, it looks really cool. I'm really excited for it. That is Forspoken coming out on PlayStation and PC on January 24th. So that's video games. Um, and then in terms of movies, I really only found two movies that, um, looked interesting to me. Um, actually there's one more I just remembered that's not audible for myself, um, that, I don't have my episode notes, so I will talk about that afterwards, but, um, so the first one is coming out in three days, called, uh, the Whitney Houston biopic, I Want to Dance with Somebody, on December 23rd, and it features Naomi Aki as Whitney Houston, um, I don't really have too much to say about this, just because, like, hey, Whitney Houston is a wonderful artist, and, like, I think this would be cool to for folks who are you know who like her and then who are also like interested in maybe learning more about Whitney Houston and stuff. So obviously, um, there's that um, coming out on December 23rd. Once again, Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. Um, and then the next movie that I wanted to highlight is called Distant. Um, on January 27th, this is a sci-fi movie featuring Anthony Ramos from In the Heights, as well as Naomi Scott, um, who, <laughs> my, uh, reference point for her is Power Rangers. She was in Power Rangers as, um, the Pink Ranger, um, and this is the Power Rangers movie that came out in 2017 that I'm still upset didn't get a sequel, um, but yeah, so, and then I think more recently she was in the Aladdin live action, um, and that happened in 2019, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, Distant is a sci-fi film. Um, I unfortunately did not write anything further in my in my notes, but um, that's something to look out for as well. Um, the last uh, last movie that I have on uh, that I want to plug that I don't actually have down in my episode notes is called Flight Paths, I believe. It's an indie movie from filmmaker Ravenna Tran, um, and it tracks um, a family of um, 
Asian American folks as they um, as they journey through space, and I think the tagline was something like the the legacy and like impacts of of traveling through space and stuff um, as like an immigrant to or like through that um, person of color lens, specifically like Asian American lens. Um, so. Uh, that looks really, really cool. Um, there's also a thread that I retweeted on Twitter um, just with, like, the whole Avatar movie coming out. Um, there's a bunch of really cool indigenous sci-fi projects and um, movies, films, and books um, that are worth highlighting. Um, so I'll put those in the episode description so that way you guys can can look at those and... and um, yeah, see something better than Avatar Way of Water. Like, James Cameron is a white dude. He, I think I saw someone bragging on Twitter, like, James Cameron handed in the Avatar 4 script and he got no notes from the studio. And it's just like, yeah, of course not, because he's a white dude. Like, these creatives, like, the um, quote-unquote creative directors, like, they don't care. Like, that, they know that Avatar made a lot of money, and so they're going to be a lot more lenient when it comes to giving notes on Avatar, if at all. So, um, yeah, and and James Cameron, like, doesn't believe that Native American people exist anymore. So lots of just, like, racist bullshit from this guy. So there's no reason to be watching Avatar Way of Water or really Avatar at all. Like, that, his franchise, just because, like, it, it's just very disrespectful to native folks, native and indigenous folks, like, kind of the world round, um, because, like, hey, it's a lot of just the same, like, white savior sort of thing, um, from what I remember about the first movie, like, this, this white guy goes to Pandora and ends up being like, oh, wait, this world is beautiful, maybe we shouldn't strip mine the planet and, like, destroy it for this resource, um, and he does not manage to convince his other white counterparts, and so, um, and then the ending is, like, the planet fights back or whatever, or nature fights back or something like that, and it's just like, mm, I don't know if this is a story worth sharing, because we have too many white savior stories already, um, so... Yeah, Avatar doesn't not worth is isn't worth seeing in my opinion. Um, you can see whatever the heck you want, um, but that's just my two cents. Um, like I said, I'll put that thread of indigenous sci-fi stories and books into the episode description, so that way you guys can all look at that thread and look at you know things that are better to, um, or you know newer stories, more interesting stories to explore. So that's all for uh, pop culture. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we will launch into the main content of the episode. All right, welcome back from the break. Hope everybody was able to get some water and hydrate. Um, so today's main topic is going to be the state of Super Asian America. Um, so just for some context here, um, I think it was Scorsese or some other movie director criticized the superhero or Marvel genre again, 
and people were upset about it. Um, the criticism is basically just boils down to like these movies aren't really art; their content, which I do agree with. Um, there is an essay that I saw somewhere, um, probably on Tumblr, about this uh, a while ago. I don't know if I will ever be able to find it again, but basically, um, the gist of it is basically that. Um, Marvel movies, like, movies are able to stand alone, and Marvel is unique in that they try and link all of their movies together through different, uh, you know, references and callbacks, and so that just makes it really content and not necessarily movies, because in order to have, like, the the most, like, full comprehension of whatever you're watching, you need to have watched everything else, which, like, for people who really like the MCU, that's great, and that's, you know, maybe what they want, um, but for your average moviegoer or, like, people who only pay attention to certain movies, it doesn't end up working out so well because you end up having, like, these weird continuity things. So, for example, like I mentioned earlier when I was watching Shang-Chi again with my friend, the white guy who features as, like, the um, the guy who played the Mandarin in Iron Man 2, um, that is a specific callback to that particular character. It's the same actor and everything, and for people who are not as Marvel-inclined, um, like me or my friend who I was watching with, um, it was very much like, okay, that's cool, why do we care about this person? Um, so... Yeah, um, not to say that Marvel movies can't be good, um, like, I remember the original Black Panther was really good, um, Wakanda Forever was good, Shang-Chi was pretty good, except for, you know, like I said, the Marvel bits, um, so yeah, that's sort of, like, the overall statement that, um, and the overall view from people, uh, and by people I just mean, like, movie directors and stuff, um, so yeah, people were upset about that, and Simu Liu, uh, or for those who might not be able to tell, Simu, um, the guy who played Shang-Chi in Shang-Chi, um, he basically put out a tweet or, like, some statement or whatever, being like, oh, I'm really grateful for being able to have the opportunity to provide representations for Asian Americans as a superhero. Um, and... Like, I understand where he's coming from. Like, let, I'll just talk about his perspective, and then we can get into the response. So, like, his perspective, right, is, like, this is his job, and, like, more or less it's his dream job. So, for him, obviously it makes sense to not really bite the hand that feeds him, right? Because then, if he says anything that's, like, too disparaging, then directors are going to be, like or not even directors, but, like, people who are working at Disney, and specifically in Marvel, are going to be like, oh, this person doesn't, like, care about his job, so maybe, like, you know, there's there's all those those politics and whatever, so I understand why he, he said that. Um, he also could have easily sort of uh, just stayed quiet, because it was just a criticism about Marvel as a whole, and not, like, his movie specifically or whatever, um, and really no other Marvel stars, like, said anything either, so yeah, he could have just kind of kept quiet, but, um, so that's his perspective, but, like, in response to Simone's, um, his, his statement, people, um, including me, uh, basically responded with, like, okay, you're an Asian American superhero whose quote-unquote superpower is using martial arts. How much representation is that? Like, is that actually meaningful, or is that just a stereotype? So, I wanted to take a look 
and give sort of an oral history of uh, Super Asian America today, as well as like all of the, maybe not all of the characters, because that, but it's going to be like pretty extensive. I, <laughs> I went into Wikipedia and searched for a list, uh, like did the list of uh, Asian American superheroes and for right now, this episode is focusing predominantly on Marvel, um, but like pulled the whole list of all super Asian American superheroes in the Marvel universe, um, and did a sort of breakdown on like who made them, when were they created, what's the cultural context, were there any harmful tropes or anything involved in there, and I found some good stuff and I found a lot of bad stuff, so, um, but yeah, so if we're gonna like back it all the way up, this is also now Marvel agnostic, the very first Asian American comic book hero. Um, so this guy is named the Green Turtle, uh, and this is from a publishing company called Blazing Comics, and this was published in 1944. Green Turtle actually only ran for f about five issues, but the year and the timing of the publication is incredibly important. So 1944 is during World War II, um, and Green Turtle, um, I don't remember the protagonist's name, but he is Chinese American. And so this was important for folks at the time because, so during World War II, just in case you somehow don't know, America or the US um, instituted Japanese American concentration camps because of racism on the West Coast. White farmers basically thought that Japanese Americans were going to take over their livelihood. And so they were complaining to the government during the war, like, oh, I saw Japanese people doing, like, suspicious stuff, and so as a result, um, FDR issued Executive Order 9066, and Japanese American people were rounded up and placed in concentration camps, uh, in the, um, actually there wasn't really one specific area, but, like, um, places in Nevada, in Idaho, in Montana, um, my grandparents were in the concentration camp, um, Minidoka, which is in Idaho, I believe, um, but there are other famous ones, like Tool Lake or Manzanar, um, I have a whole episode on all this, behind my paywall on Patreon, so if you're tier 2 or above, um, you can actually listen to that, um, and that is, is listener, ex or Patreon, is subscriber exclusive, so if you want more of my sort of hidden content, I guess, you can subscribe, um, mostly because that's a lot of, um, labor that I did, um, in terms of sharing my family history, and I'm not doing that for free, so, um, yeah, so that's why the year of publication is important, um, there is rampant, um, anti-Asian sentiments, but, like, mostly against Japan, um, but obviously the average white person doesn't have the ability or the, like, I mean, I'm not trying to say that this racism is, like, merited or, like, targeted, but basically, like, white people can't tell the difference, and really, people just can't tell the difference between different types of East Asian folks, so as a result, there's this whole beginning of, I mean, not even beginning, like, there's anti-Asian racism the moment the Chinese arrived in America, which was in the 1800s, but, um, yeah, there's, like, more anti-Asian sentiment, and this is called Yellow Peril, um, starts around this time and continues through the Cold War, but basically this racism is against, you know, folks who look East Asian, and so as a result, Green Turtle is actually really important because 
Chinese American people were trying to say like, I'm not Japanese, like I'm not the the bad guy here, which understandable, like, um, because there when when people were rounded up for the concentration camps, some of them were just sort of like done by looks and so Chinese American folks during World War II actually wore like patches that said I'm Chinese to avoid getting sent to the concentration camps. So that is sort of the um the importance of the timing for Green Turtle. Um but Green Turtle actually had no super superpowers. He is just a skilled fighter and he flies a high-tech turtle plane um and yeah, so there, there's nothing too special or remarkable, like, powers-wise about Green Turtle, but otherwise, like, the timing is important, and, um, you know, maybe we'll do another episode, or maybe I'll put this episode behind the paywall, but, like, superheroes as a genre sort of comes out of, um, comes a lot from, like, patriotism, and, um, during wartime, and trying to, you know, that, that's the sort of birthplace for a lot of these superhero stories, um, and as a result, they're sort of very carceral in nature, um, but that's another topic for another time. So that is the very first of Asian American superheroes. So now focusing back on Marvel, um, like I said, I took a look at the entire roster of Marvel's Asian American superheroes and, um, and, and did a sort of catalog on that to see what the stats were, how we, um, ended up looking in terms of, like, representation and, um, any recurring tropes or, like, problematic tropes or whatever. So, um, according to Wikipedia, there are about 55 Marvel superheroes that are Asian American, and, um, overall, most are predominantly written by white people. I will highlight three out of the 55 that were written by, people of color most and and mainly um there's a mixed asian writer and then a um person of middle eastern descent creator so um yeah most of them are written by white people um and the majority of these characters are actually side characters that don't head their own comics other than um shang chi jimmy woo and big hero six um you might be saying, hey, Big Hero 6 is just a Disney movie, right? And it's actually, the original Big Hero 6 was um, a team of superheroes written for the Marvel Universe. Um, I think other details of the Big Hero 6 movie are accurate, but um, the like some of the details of Big Hero 6 aren't exactly the same. Um, but yeah, Big Hero 6 is actually a Marvel superhero team. Um, Shang-Chi obviously headed up his own comic, um, I did a whole episode on the racist background of Shang-Chi, um, that is the inaugural episode of season one, um, the very first episode of my podcast, um, so you can listen into that for more information on that. Jimmy Woo is actually, um, he is, uh, head of S.W.O.R.D., which is the, another secret, government secret organization in the Marvel Universe that is a counterpart to S.H.I.E.L.D., um, and he first appears, um, against a protagonist, or sorry, an antagonist called Yellow Claw, um, and we'll get into Jimmy Woo a little bit later, um, I do, I do get to talk about him a little bit later, so, so yeah, that's the overall themes, um, and, and then the other theme that sort of, um, 
pops up is like other than characters who are written explicitly as part of the X-Men, um, most of these Asian American characters, um, none of them are actually superhumans. They're just sort of normal people who happen to know martial arts and be smart. Um, you know, you compare that to um i was i'm trying to name like other marvel superheroes but i was like about to name dc superheroes I'm like other heroes like batman and superman um batman's just a normal person who just happens to know how to uh have money and to afford incredible like interesting technology but um anyways um unlike other heroes like captain america or um the hulk or thor and like other superheroes that we've met so far like also black panther and that's not meant as a drag as much as just like you know an example none of these characters are super or like a very few of these characters are actually like super powered they uh, they're just people um so it's it's very interesting to have that perspective and i mean i think this all boils down to hey i think we need to write our own stories and and the the characters that are being developed like i said 52 out of the 55 that i found were created by white people um there is one character that was actually created like half by um like a black person was involved um as the artist but not as the writer so like uh, one thing to take a grain of salt, like one one thing to note with the creation of these characters is that there's a writer and an artist involved, um, and most of, I didn't do like a ton of digging. I sort of just like looked at names, um, and so most of and I'm just going off of assumption here because, like I said, I didn't do too much research. I like looked it briefly at the names and sort of drew my own conclusions, but like most of these people, the authors are white. Like I said, I did note that one of these artists was a black person, um, and there's another artist who is, um, there are two more artists who are Asian, who actually contributed to this, but like I said, most of these characters are being created by white people, and so as a result, there's that lens of, like, otherness, and I think... And I'll get into this more at the end, but overall, I just think it's time for us to be able to take our own stories and our own characters and, like, really bring them to life in the way that f is fitting to us. So, um, we'll start with the good first, I guess, um, just to, actually, you know what, we'll start with, we'll start with the, sh the bad shit, because then we can end with the good stuff, um, and sort of end on a more positive note, and then go into, um, how I think we can best address issues, like, the ones that we're about to see in comics. So, as I mentioned before, very few of them are actually superhumans, but we do have many martial arts masters. Um, Shang-Chi is obviously the poster child right now, just because he just got his movie, um, but there are also other characters, like Wong, um, who is also currently in the MCU, played by Benedict Wong, who is a sidekick of Doctor Strange. There's Monica Chung-Fury, um, who I will get into in a little bit, um, and then Collective Man, and Red Lotus. So, um, Monica Chung Fury is was created in 2009 by white folks, and she's the wife of Nick Fury. Um, Collective Man, oh boy, do I have notes on him? I thought I did. Yeah, Collective Man was actually created in 1980. Um, 
by white folks as well. And then um, there's Red Lotus, who was created by white folks and first appeared in 2001. So all these characters have are, are just created by white people. Um, so that's a that's obviously a bad thing of just like, hey, martial arts aren't superpowers. Um, and I know that in Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, um, the like Shang-Chi's rings allow him to do superhuman things because they're artifacts. But that's the thing is like they're artifacts. They're not actually powers. Shang-Chi himself does not have superpowers. He just knows Gong Fu and he knows Ba Gua Zhang. So like there's nothing like superhuman about him. He just happens to know martial arts and that's his like ability. And then he uses these artifacts to fight. And Honestly, I would rather have somebody who, like, maybe is sort of, like, scrappy and can, like, fight on the streets, but, like, doesn't have formal fighting training and can use an artifact. To me, that's more of a, like, uh, I, I guess that's more of a, feels more appropriate. Um, but then also, like, martial arts, just bottom line, is not a superpower. Like, we should stop creating superheroes whose quote-unquote superpower is just being a master of martial arts it's like it's it's boring it's racist it's you know we don't need that anymore it's racist because just in case like it escapes you not all asian people know martial arts also martial arts is not something that is like that exotic um, it, like, it's racist because, like, this is all exotification. It's Orientalism. It's like, oh, you're, like, so mystical and different because you happen to know martial arts. And, um, you know, Western countries do have martial arts as well. It's just, like, we don't really focus on them. Like, technically, fencing is a martial art. Um, and uh, you've got Krav Maga from Israel. Um, and, like, those are the only two I can really name off the top of my head. But, like, there are... Um, you know, there are equivalents, and, and it's not like anybody would say, oh, you know how to fence, therefore you're a superhero. Like, nobody nobody would say that at all, ever. Same thing with Krav Maga. Like, that has never been used as a superpower, so it's just fucking weird and absolutely fucking racist that um, East Asian, or just, like, Asian martial arts in general just get used as this like weird superpower thing so enough of that no more of that please um if you are a um young comic book writer or something and you're looking to create an asian american superhero do not give that person superpower or the quote-unquote superpower of knowing martial arts that's not a superpower uh you hear to hear first um and then so that that's the first point um another terrible thing that has been done was just like a really shitty taste in in imagery so there as as i mentioned before big hero 6 was a superhero team in the mc in the marvel comics universe um and big hero 6 has a couple of members one called sunfire and then um succeeded by sunpire both of these characters are Japanese-American, or no, actually, I think they might be from Japan. Um, but basically, their costume uses the Imperial Rising Sun flag of Japan. Um, and the main reason why this is a problem is because this is basically the Japanese equivalent of the Confederate flag. Like, 
if a Japanese person were to be reading these comics, it would be like, why the fuck are they wearing this? Are they supposed to be villains? And both of these characters are actually, like, Big Hero 6 is a superhero team. They're not a super villain team. So it's just really weird and in very poor taste to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to have these characters wear, like, basically the Confederate flag is their, um, their superhero outfit. It would be like having, I don't know, like, it would basically be the same as, like, having a superhero wear, like, the Ku Klux Klan outfit. Like, that's not a superhero outfit. That's just fucking racism. Um, and once again, just the the context of the Imperial Rising Sun flag of Japan, that was the flag that was flown during World War II. Japan did a lot of awful things during World War II. Um, they were, like, Japan was very motivated by um, and inspired by Western governments and Western powers, and so as a result, there was a lot of colonization that they did in the Pacific Theater, so they were in the Philippines, they were in Taiwan, they were in South Korea, um, and like, all those places, like, they, their banner was the Imperial Rising Sun flag, and so just in case you guys don't know that, that is the flag that looks very much like the normal flag of Japan, but instead of just being the red dot or the red circle on the white field, it's a red circle with, like, red sun rays coming out of it. So, yeah, like, it's just nobody, nobody, like, who is Japanese-American like, if a Japanese-American person had actually created these characters, they would have never done that, because, like, that is just so fucking insensitive, and it, like, I forgot the, the quote from the person, but basically, like, the art, this is, this is actually exactly what, like, the artist proposed, and the writer was like, cool, let's, let's take it, and, I understand that these characters are solar-based, like, their names are Sunfire and Sunpire, they have pyrokinetic skills, but, like, there's no, I, like, can't think of an equivalent for, like, U.S. culture, but, like, I don't know, it's just in really poor taste, so, like, that's another thing that popped up. Um, and then another big theme here that pops up, and this ties into the next one too, is perpetuation of Asian fetishization. So um, I think I talked about this a little bit during my Shang-Chi series, but basically a lot of, a big issue that faces Asian American women in particular is um, they are fetishized they are fetishized in in um this country they're viewed as demure and meek and basically just sexual playthings um and this is like this is certainly the case in um asian american representation in the superhero genre um the two most notable examples i was able to find were monica chong fury um, and then Silk, or her civilian name is Cindy Moon. So, with Monica, um, so she's the wife. As you can, as you might be able to tell from the last name, um, she's the wife of Nick Fury. Um, but basically, what ends up happening is she finds out that he's cheated on her with all of her female friends and family members. Um, 
obvious I, like I, I don't know about how her friend group is like racially but like to cheat on somebody with all her female family members and she's asian like that's a little weird and pretty gross like there's that fetishization there of like okay well they're asian women and they're like beautiful and desirable and i can do whatever the fuck they're just sexual objects um so and it doesn't help that like the original like in the comics nick fury is actually a white dude um it would be really something to bring in Monica Chung Fury with this backstory with the way Nick Fury is in um in the MCU um since he's black um I you know like just given racism and everything Kevin Feige might do it because he's just like he might think oh you know what black folks and Asian folks are getting into their heads solidarity like getting solidarity in their heads let's like divide that up some more so um hopefully that doesn't actually happen i have no idea what the status of nick fury is in the current mcu um and i don't really care so um but yeah that's um that's one example of fetishization and silk or cindy moon oh boy guys this is like if you thought Monica Chong Fury was bad because Nick Fury cheated on her with all of her family members, like all her female family members, Cindy Moon is quite possibly the most disgusting example of Asian women being fetishized by white men. So, I do love her because she's a really cool character. Um, she's got an interesting backstory, and she, so she, Cindy Moon is Korean American, and she is another spider person, she is, she's very similar to, to, uh, Spider-Man in terms of, like, power, ability, and strength, um, apparently she's, like, just a little bit weaker than Peter Parker, but, like, is on the same caliber, um, but apparently when, Peter Parker and Cindy get too fucking close to each other, they are seized by an inescapable desire to fuck each other. Yeah, that's right. You heard me correctly. They are seized by, a, like, an untamable desire to have sex. Um, and no, this character was actually not created that long ago. This character was created by a white man in 2014. And, like, this, I, I think we might get Cindy Moon in the new Spider-Verse movie, which is exciting, but I also really, really don't want to see this, because, like, to have your, part of your superpower kit be, like, oh, when there's this white, this, only this one character, this one singular white man, whenever he's around, we're, we have to fuck, like, what? What is that? Like, I... <sighs> I understand that there are some superheroes where their superpower is like, oh, I can, like, mind control you, or, like, pheromones or something, but, like, this is just fucking ridiculous. Like, um, even the pheromone to have, like, sex or whatever, that's also kind of questionable, especially since I'm pretty sure most of the time that superpower is, like, put on black women, um, which is equally bad. Like, let's not fetishize people here. Like, just bottom line. Um... So, Cindy Moon just really, really, like, it's heartbreaking, because, like, it's really cool that um, we have an Asian American spider person, um, but it sucks because she's just, like, a fucking sex object like that. So, 
Um, yeah, that's Asian fetishization through Monica Chung Fury and Cindy Moon. Um, and then, you know, there's just, like, overall racist stereotypes that are embodied through these, um, Asians, both Asian and Asian American superheroes. So, um, the first one to talk about, uh, is actually a set of two. They're both samurai from Japan. There's the silver samurai and the ebon samurai. Um, their superhero power, or their superpower is they are samurai. That's, you know, about the same as saying martial arts is a superpower. That's not a fucking superpower. Um, they also happen to be very, you know, the fucking thing that white people really love to think Asian people love is honor. So they're, like, very honor-bound. And, like, Iban Samurai is, um, apparently has, like, this whole arc where he wants to get revenge on Silver Samurai, but then he realizes that since the Silver Samurai is, like, the bodyguard of the emperor or something that killing silver samurai would be the equivalent of like committing treason so he doesn't and it's just really weird um but yeah the samurai were both created in 1974 by white people um and then getting back to big hero 6 this was created in 1998 also by white people so this is a team um composed of Silver Samurai, that's the leader, um, Gogo Tomago, um, who, her super, like, she actually has a superpower, she can, can transform into an explosive energy ball when she says her name, but also, like, that's, Gogo Tomago is basically, like, the Japanese equivalent of being Ching Chonged, so it's not great, like, it's not a great name. Um, there is also a character named Honey Lemon who is able to pull shit out of a purse, um, and that apparently is, like, her, uh, the, it's an artifact thing again, like, she can pull things out of this purse and they happen to do interesting things. If you've ever seen the Japanese anime Doraemon, it's kind of like that, <laughs> I guess. Um, and then there's also another person named Wasabi no Ginger, which, once again, white people have zero understanding of how language works, um, and, like, it's not quite an obvious Ching Chong, but it's still an obvious Ching Chong, because, like, <sighs> like, man, I'm sorry, you're gonna hear a lot of sighing, because doing research for this episode took a lot out of me. If any of you guys follow me on Twitter, you saw me complaining about it, um, but yeah, like, the name sucks, um, it's very much written by somebody who has little to no understanding of the Japanese language, um, and Wasabi no Ginger is actually just a chef who can use knives, like, in combat, as, like, weapons so once again not a superpower um and then the weirdest member of big hero 6 is a guy named fredzilla um i don't remember if he's asian american or if he's white but he can he's a guy named fred who can turn into godzilla um and this is just really weird because um so just for anybody who doesn't know godzilla it was created um, in Japan as a an allegory for nuclear war and its impacts. Um, like, that's really the whole sort of, like, um, deal with the kaiju genre, is, like, um, it, it, the, the impacts of nuclear war and it's it just, just nuclear war as, like, this 
this terrible thing that can happen and this terrible thing that humans have created and its impacts and how they're more or less uncontrollable, um, just like forces of nature, like these giant creatures that cannot be really controlled or tamed, and they sort of do whatever the fuck they want, and we're at their mercy. So um, I might do an episode on Godzilla. There's so many, like, there's so many things that I can like talk about from this topic, but like, oh my god, it's just so bad to have someone just like turn into Godzilla as their superpower. Like that's that just misses the whole point of Godzilla and like what it stands for. So that's Big Hero Six, uh, created in 1998 by white people. Um, the next character is I think I mentioned him earlier, Collective Man. This was created in 1980 by white people as well. And literally, his superpower is... also well, technically, Collective Man is made up of five brothers who can combine into one being, and their ability is they have the pe- strength of five men. Or, after a certain event in their comics, they have the strength of every single person in China together, because they are literally a the physical embodiment of communism. So, um yeah, that's um, you know, it, it, the the US has this sort of like weird relationship with communism in that like nobody really knows what it is. They're just like, "Oh, this is a political thing that we don't ascribe to. Therefore, it's communism." Like you look at the Red Scare and you also look at like what right-wing Republican, those that just means the same thing. Like, when you look at what right-wing politicians are saying is quote-unquote socialism now, and it's very much just, like, what those people are doing over there. So, like, um, you know, stuff that's happening in Cuba, stuff that's happening in Russia, stuff that's happening in China especially. Like, these don't, like, Collective Man is racist because, like, it's, upholding a lot of stereotypes about China, and it's very much just, like, a an us-versus-them sort of thing. Like, I, I still can't believe that somebody basically just wrote a superhero character that's just, like, oh, this is communism, and this is what that looks like. That's just fucking bonkers. Um, and then the last one that's sort of worth bringing up for, like, bad racist stereotypes not that there are any good racist stereotypes but like this is like also bad um and also just sort of like embodiment of like a lot of um yellow peril sort of sentiments um so there actually there are a few that i've listed here so there's yellow claw who is the antagonist against jimmy woo in um created in 1956 there's radioactive man who's created by stan lee in 1963 and then there's the red lotus created by white people in 2001 all of these characters perpetuate the concept of yellow peril um and it's important to note that all of these characters um i mean Red Lotus is sort of debatable on this, but, like, both Yellow Claw and Radioactive Man were generated, or were created during the Cold War, um, and it's important to note that China is a communist country, and so as a result, as I mentioned before, it's this sort of fear of, oh, what are they doing over there? They're communists, like, they're, they can't be trusted, um, and this is a huge reason why, um, at least those of us Asian American folks who've been paying attention this whole time, like, Yellow Peril has affected dramatically how we talk about China and how the average white person views Asian Americans. Um, Because 
there's a lot of things that the news does when talking about China. There's a lot of fear mongering. There's a lot of us versus them. If you think about, um, you know, even stuff with um, manufacturing in China, people are so proud and always eager to say, oh, this is made in the United States and not in China. And some of it might be like, oh, we're contributing to our own economy. Sure. Okay. You can say that all you want, but like that is that is 100% motivated by, at least it's not from China, so we're not giving China money. Um, when in reality, a lot of the whole, like, made-in-China stuff is because China offers cheap labor and because of capitalism, um, that's what the market wants. So that is the issue there. Um, but yeah, that's, like, Yellow Peril has significantly affected um, how the U.S. as well as other white countries view China um, and, like at least with South Korea and Japan, um, they're viewed as, like, good Asian, good East Asian countries because they're not communist. Um, so, like, yeah, all these, all three of these characters, Yellow Claw, Radioactive Man, and Red Lotus are just sort of, like, oh, look how, like, scary and evil these Chinese people are, like, these Asian people are. Um, Yellow Claw, I don't think, had any, like, sort of, I don't, I didn't do too much of a deep dive on Yellow Claw because, um, I didn't want to inflict that upon myself. Um, but yeah, Yellow Claw is just like this scary, spooky communist man. Um, Radioactive Man is showcasing the dangers of nuclear power, which was an important theme during the Cold War. Um, and then, as I mentioned, Red Lotus was created in 2001. It's kind of debatable if you want to call that still the Cold War or not. Like, one could argue that we are still in the Cold War because a lot of the Cold War is like fighting proxy wars where it's like technically some place like that's influenced by the US, also forces influenced by the by Russia and those two forces clashing to be like, is capitalism better or communism better? Um so like yeah, I don't know. I'm <laughs> Yellow Peril influencing a lot of these characters really just, like, drains me to talk about, because, um, when, once you realize that Yellow Peril has significantly impacted how the average American views Asian people, then, like, a lot of the anti-Asian racism that we saw spike during the pandemic makes a lot of sense, and, like, you can understand why, like, a lot of the people who have been tuned into this sort of thing have, are saying, like, hey, no, this actually never really stopped um nothing's different like this is all like this is how it's sort of always been and it needs to change so um so that's um just a quick summary of like the racist stereotypes that pop up um and then there's uh the final piece that is crummy is just um pushing western ideals so i did you know most of the superheroes that i've mentioned are either are, are east asian they're korean they're japanese they're chinese um so this is um one from actually uh afghanistan so um there's an interaction so these two characters that i'm about to mention are both in the x-men so there's surge or noriko ashida um who was created by white writers and a black artist in 2004 and she has an interaction with the character dust or soraya kadir um who was created in 
2002 by white folks. So Soraya is um, from Afghanistan, um, and her hero, superhero name is Dust. She can manipulate sand and dust. Um, Surge, or Noriko, uh, has the ability to manipulate electricity. If anybody plays Valorant, you can think of Surge as, like, neon, even down to the blue hair dye. Um, so... Uh, Sir or Noriko and Soraya have an interest have an interaction when they're at the X Men Academy. Um, basically, Noriko's like, "Oh, you shouldn't wear the niqab because that's not women's rights." And oh boy, like I mean, I understand that these comics are made by white people, and they're made in the U.S. And so as a result, um, and also like because superheroes have like such close ties with war and like propaganda like it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that um that Noriko says this but like when it comes down to it like people who wear the niqab or the hijab um or any sort of you know anything in between um the women who choose to cover up in that way, that's their choice. There are some women, obviously, in those countries who maybe don't want to cover up. And, like, you know, it's the whole point of women's freedom with, like, hijab and covering up and stuff. Like, there is no issue other than, like, let women do what they want. So if they want to wear hijab, they can wear hijab. If they do not want to wear hijab, then they don't have to. And I mean, even the really cool thing about hijab culture that I've seen, at least, is like, there are different ways of doing it. You have like the very, very conservative hijab where like, there's no hair showing at all. Um, and then there's also a little bit more like, liberal hijab where it like the most of the hair is covered and like you might be able to see some hair um from the person but like basically overall with like women's rights and hijab and everything it's like let people do what they want if the person wants to wear niqab they can wear niqab if they want to wear the hijab they can wear the hijab if they want to wear a full burqa they can wear the you know just let <laughs> it all just boils down to just just let these women do what they want that's that's what women's freedom is not saying like oh you're being oppressed because you're being forced to wear hijab like maybe that's their choice maybe like you know so um yeah that's we went through the bad stuff okay we made it so now we're going to talk about the good stuff um and there is some there's not as many as the bad things unfortunately but um there are some really cool highlights that i ended up finding as i mentioned there are i found on wikipedia there were at least 55 characters that were asian american um and that includes um east asian as well as south asian and central asian um Central Asia, you know, like, basically, everything that's not Europe and Africa is Asia, um, on that landmass. Obviously, Australia is not Asia. Um, so, the, there are three characters of that list of 55 that I found that were created by people of color. Um, the first one is Amadeus Cho, or Braun. Um, he is an incarnation of the Hulk. He was created by Greg Pak in 2005 um greg pack is mixed korean and white 
Um, so he had a hand with creating that character, um, from what I remember, and I also, like, have seen Greg Pak in person, um, at Comic-Con a few times, um, I haven't actually, like, talked to him in person, but I've seen him on panels and stuff, um, so he had a hand in creating that, and he also co-created, um, another superhero, uh, named Wave in 2019, this was actually one of the hero superheroes that I'm, like, was really excited to learn about, and I really hope she gets her own movie. Um, Wave is based in the Philippines, and this was co-created with Lionel Francis Yu, who is Filipino, um, and she has hydrokinetic powers. Um, Amadeus Cho, or Braun, has the same abilities as the Hulk, so um, actual superpowers for people! Hooray! <laughs> Finally! Um, so yeah, uh, Amadeus Cho and Wave were both created by Greg Pak, um, mixed Korean and white and then the other character who I was able to find who was actually created by a non-white person was Kamala Khan or Miss Marvel who was created by Sana Amanat um and she was created in 2014 and Miss Marvel actually is in the MCU now um she had her own TV show um and her superpower is kind of a mix between at least in the comic books um she's called a polymorph so she has the ability to you think of like the abilities of ant-man which is um getting really small or growing really big um as well as mr fantastic which is like the ability to like um stretch your limbs or whatever you know like make your body adapt all sorts of different shapes um sort of like um, Elastigirl from The Incredibles, um, so, uh, Kamala's powers in the comic books are a mix of those, and so she's called a polymorph, um, but when she was translated into the MCU, she's actually, um, her powers are more like, she puts on a bracelet, she puts on an artifact again, and then she gets the ability to sort of, like, make hard light projections, um, you can kind of think of Symmetra from Overwatch, um, so basically just, like, like, astral projection sort of things that also, like, are tangible, um, she's able to make those things, so, um, Kamala Khan, at least in the in the comic, actually has superpowers in the in the um, cinematic universe. Not quite as much, but at least she is portrayed also by a person of color. Um, Iman Vellani, I believe, is the name is the actress's name, um, who's also a big Marvel head. So um, yeah, that's that's cool to see. And then um, the there there's another cool character. Um, this is a character named Nico Minoru, um, created in 2003, unfortunately, by white people. Um, her superpower is she can actually use magic, um, she's also a queer character, um, and, uh, instead of being a sidekick, she's actually the leader of the Nameless Hero team that actually forms after the collapse of the Runaways, um, and I believe she was in the TV series The Runaways, um, which is, like, supposed to start out as a sort of, like, super villain group, and then one of them betrays them, and they're just like, wait a minute, we're not going to be bad anymore, we're going to be heroes now, and Nico is the person who actually ends up uh, heading that group up, so that is that was pretty cool to see, um, and then in terms of other LGBTQ um, super Asian-American superheroes, there's also Raz Malhotra, who is Indian-American, and he is, um, part of, he is, he is one of the Giant Mans, um, and I guess, um, Giant Man's superpower is kind of like Ant-Man, where he can change his body size, um, to become very large, um, 
so yeah, those are the two um, queer Asian American characters that I was, I was able to find. Um, there's also, um, and then, and then another uh, sort of theme that our character, cool character that I found was Enigma. Um, unfortunately created by white folks again and um this was actually a one-off character in spider-man um and she was sort of a call-out character for um a real world event um the union carbide methyl isocyanate leak that happened in bhopal india um that ended up killing a lot of people because it's a harmful chemical um so it was really interesting to see this character like this superhero actually um being used to like bring attention to this real life tragedy um and that's really cool but i also don't think that is ever going to happen again just given the sort of like i said propaganda nature of marvel and superhero comics in general like that's it's not going to ever happen again so um but it's really cool that it actually happened once once again i think this is a huge reason why i think we should be writing our own stories and like developing our own characters and making them stand for things that we actually care about um, and then the last really cool, um, part that I, person that I wanted to bring up is, uh, Faiza Hussain, um, and she was also created by white folks, um, I was not able to find the year of her creation, but, um, she is, uh, superhero who has who actually has superpowers she can manipulate um matter on the atomic level so she mostly uses that for healing um and then she can also wield excalibur um and she is the steward to the black knight um black knight was actually teased at the very end of the eternals movie in the post-credit scenes um so interest i hope fiza is in the movies that would be really cool but I guess we'll see, like, um, yeah, I don't know, that, the, the good, it's not very, the list, like I said, isn't very long, but, um, there are some pretty cool things going on, and definitely, like, rooting for all of these characters, and I guess, and I really hope that we can see some of these characters, like, in the MCU eventually, um, hopefully as, like, their own main acts and everything. Um, there are also a couple other, um, honorable mentions in terms of the good where we sort of um co-opted some characters so um the most notable is blink uh who was in x-men played by fan bingbing um and blink in the comic books is not asian um but she is asian in the movies so that is pretty cool um, and this all, the, like, the good sort of, like, brings me into sort of the antidote for all this. As you might have been able to tell, like, I got really exhausted with going through the bad shit because it's rough and it's just mentally draining to be like, damn, this is how people see people who look like me. And, like, it, um, it sounds really silly, but, like, these comic books actually do have impact and they do impact how people, like, see asian american people um like if we continue to be not in charge of our own stories then we will continue to be seen as um just objects and just like people who exist as like side characters not trying to say that representation is the be all end all like solution to combating racism but it certainly does help with helping to humanize people um at least for maybe those who are able to be reached 
um, via humanization. Um, some people are definitely not able to be reached by that, um, and those folks are irredeemable racists. So, um, but yeah, in terms of like the antidote to all of this, I think um, we just need to have more Asian American people um, creating our own superhero stories, um, giving ourselves, um, you know, powers that we want to see, and imagining worlds um, that could, you know, just imagining a better world um, and what that could look like. And I know, um, I think I mentioned before in my Shang-Chi episode, like, I developed a character that fits into um, the Shang-Chi universe, and I ended up actually spinning that off into its own sort of thing. Um, and I am, I am writing um, the actual story and actually capturing all of that. Um, will it ever go to publishing? Probably not. Um, but like, at least I have that all together. And I think, you know, maybe, um, it could be worth sharing one day, who knows? But, um, yeah, I think we just need to continue to create our own stories, create our own characters and, and breathe life into, um, universes that we want to see and have stories that we want to tell because, um, a lot of these superhero stories that are about white people, like, there is a reason why Marvel has been criticized, and they are heavily formulaic. And I think a big reason why Shang-Chi was as successful as it was, um, even though it had, like, vanishing cultural impact, um, is that the movie itself was a, a pretty big departure, at least, from the normal Marvel formula. There were several times during the movie, during, you know, first first viewing, where I was like, wait, this is a Marvel movie? And, you know, I got bumped back into that. So um, I think that, you know, taking control of the narrative and being in charge of our own stories and creating stories about us for us, I think is really going to be the most important way to combat all of this. This goes doubly so for queer people of color. Um like, we don't get to see enough of that, and I know there are lots of queer people of color out there who are creative and uh, storytellers and amazing artists, and I think it would be really cool to continue to see more of our stories, um, and whether they be superhuman or not. So, um, yeah, I'll just sort of leave us with that, and we will take a quick break, and then we'll finish out the show. All right, and we are back from the break. So as you may know, we normally close out the show with a segment called What's Your Nonsense? Um, and I have updated this segment to not only include um, stuff that you are into, but also stuff that makes you happy because obviously there's a lot of stuff going on in the world and we could all use a little bit more happiness. So this week, my nonsense is uh, the movie that I think I talked about at the top called Flight Paths by Ravenna Tran. Um, this movie is already shot and everything. It's a short film in six minutes um, and it's sci-fi. Um, and in the creator's own words, this is a sci-fi short film about a family of space travelers and the quieter legacies we leave behind. Um, right now, it reached its funding goal on Kickstarter, um, and all of the sort of extra money is going to back uh, Ravenna in her um, continued exploits in creating her, her continuing to create her um films and everything so uh 
right now they are um, they've actually reached the goal where they they cover all their marketing and everything so that's really cool um, and there is uh, the short film is going to be released in January of 2023 so this um, is just one of the sort of sci-fi things that I've been keeping my eye on um, as I mentioned also before there was a thread on Twitter that I found of indigenous folks writing their own uh, sci-fi stories to kind of counter, uh, not counter directly, but to spice up the sci-fi space with more voices that aren't just white. So um, yeah, those, those things, just seeing these stories from people in the sci-fi space, I think is really refreshing and really um, exciting for me. It makes me really happy. So um, I think by the time I drop this episode, the uh, ability to actually support flight pads will no longer be available. Um, I don't know if Ravenna is doing a wider release, but that's something to look forward to. And like I said, I'll put the uh, Twitter thread linking to um, the indigenous sci-fi stories in the episode description so that way you guys can all access that so that is my nonsense for the week a little bit shorter because i have been talking for a lot so if you have made it this far thank you so much for listening and hope every hope you enjoyed it if you did enjoy this show please consider supporting me on patreon i am on patreon at nonsense and noise pod um and there are three different tiers of support the first level gets you a shout out on the pod um and level two gets you access to bonus episodes as i mentioned earlier in the episode um there are currently there's only one episode right now but um i will be eventually putting up more episodes that are going to be behind a paywall these involve a little bit more research and like vulnerability on my end and i'm not doing that for free so um yeah you can check that out if you um subscribe at tier two and then tier three actually gets you the ability to suggest topic ideas so um, previous topics include avatar the last airbender as well as boys love Um, a lot of the topics that i have brought up have been mostly just like my ideas are just in sort of like a reaction to like different pop culture events so um but yeah if you want to hear something talked about um then you can do so if you subscribe at tier three on patreon um and if you want more of me you can follow me on twitter twitch and instagram all at the same handle at kato not kato that's k-a-h-t-o-n-o-t-k-a-y-t-o um i have not streamed anything on twitch lately um i think i streamed Pokemon when that I got that so those like some Friday in November and then I haven't streamed since because um the way I play Pokemon is just like really unbearable to watch um so I might be streaming a little bit more often but we'll see um I'm trying I think I'm gonna try and get Force Spoken um that will probably be something I stream Octopath Traveler 2 is coming out in February that might be something I stream as well um but stay tuned follow me on Twitch and then you'll get those notifications for when I go live um Twitter is still afloat for right now so you can still find me there there is an exciting new social media platform coming called Spill. 
um, and it is uh, created by people who have been laid off from Twitter, um, so it's a suitable Twitter alternative, and the founders panel is all BIPOC, uh, or Black, Indigenous, and people of color, um, so that's really cool to see, and I'm really hoping that um, content moderation on that social media network is a lot more robust than Twitter's. Um, just because Twitter, uh, let's just say that there are lots of just open white supremacists running around and the moderation on Twitter kind of sucks. So, um, yeah, there's hope for Spill, um, that is coming out next month. Um, I reserved my handle over there, so eventually when Spill launches, I'll be on there as Kato, not Kato as well. So, um, that's all for the show. Thank you for hanging in there for another long one, and I will catch you guys later. Thanks for listening. Bye.